Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for the most popular and least listened to podcast in the world, the Sixth Sense Media Podcast, with your host, Mike Phelan. Uh, first of all, how did all this come about? Oh, uh, um, well, I grew up in Zimbabwe and watched a lot of Westerns at the uh, drive-in theater and then moved here in the mid-80s to the United States and uh, watched a lot of 80s movies and TV and kind of then moved to doing a lot of improv comedy at Upright Citizens Brigade and Groundlings and that kind of weird mix and a love of horror, kind of, uh, that's kind of the blend. Uh, that That's how it all came about. Um, I wrote the script a few years ago. Um, it was a much more serious script at first that I really hated, and then I kind of threw it away, and then, uh, you know, I was like, I'm just going to have fun with this and make something super-duper fun. I'd just gotten off of working on this film called Repatriation, which was a very dark drama about stolen valor. And I was like, I want to do something different. And then uh, got a great script working, tried to raise a, a lot of money, didn't get a lot of money, found a little tiny bit of money, and then cast all of my friends in the roles that I'd been working with at all the improv theaters around LA. And my brother-in-law, uh, Ari Schneider, uh, helped me produce uh, with another producer from Portland named AJ Gordon. And Ari and I played opposite each other as Hawk and Rev. We had been part of a, a two-man improv team for a couple years back in the day so we're and we were in elijah's ashes together playing opposite and uh you know we we set out on this weird journey of trying to make this kind of big trouble in little china lost boise type movie uh on a shoestring and you know did uh did uh, multiple shoots and you know reshot stuff played with gore sprayed blood everywhere and made funny jokes and then uh, went into the land of post-production and music which uh, Ari and um, Robbie Elfman also uh, worked on so they did this awesome score uh, for the film that's very eclectic kind of 80s inspired western inspired and then with this very modern edge that goes all the way into the land of Beyonce, which just kind of amps up the comedy, you know? Uh, what's but your, uh, uh, at the end of the day, we're just trying to make a really fun, feel-good homage comedy to, to kind of my, my childhood in the 80s and loving all those movies and those kind of flawed, over-masculine characters <clears throat> who don't really learn anything <laughs> we kind of played that's a comedic effect and uh and we wanted to have a feel-good ending and and uh that's kind of where we're at we're sort of you know trying to make the most fun watch we could and you know it's been a few years working on the movie so at the end of the day it's it's kind of perfectly timed right now because it's it's sort of a a, a break from the darkness and really super duper thoughtful stuff. It's more of just kind of a fun popcorn movie 
where there's, you know, references a million. So you may get some, you may not, other people will get some. And, you know, there's references from Hitchcock all the way to Commando. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. And that's how it came about. How did you go about balancing the, the right amount of gore and horror with the uh, the lightheartedness that you wanted? Was that, did you have that all pretty much pre-planned out or as the trials and tribulations of making an independent movie and uh, change that a little for you along the road? Yeah, it, it definitely changed. Uh, uh, originally, we, we had, I would say, less gore. And then... Um, during our first shoot, uh, we had some location issues, which kind of had me rethink some of the final showdown, uh, which was awesome because I kind of went back to the drawing board and I was a really big fan of like the wild bunch and magnificent seven. So that kind of made me, uh, amp it up. And then we, we already had these really great kind of compartmentalized, gore scenes with these like really sticky 80s early 90s stereotype characters that you you just want them to die you're like i want that person to get it and so we already had that but then uh this sort of um fate struck you know so i got to you know get get a, a another uh i got a mulligan on this 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 ending, which allowed me to really amp it up even more and really balance the gore and the humor within the final showdown, which is probably the last 30 minutes of the movie is like gore and jokes all at one time, which is just awesome. And by the end of the movie, like the lead characters, Hawk, and Rev, and then Theo, the love interest, who's actually the brains of the whole operation and kind of kind of saves the day from the main villain. I mean, we're completely covered in blood, almost to the point of like Nick Cage and Mandy style, just completely covered in blood. And, you know, arguing about, you know, whether she slept with a vampire and, and you know, in the past and this kind of stuff. So it was just a really fun thing that I, that, that I got to really experiment with as a director, which was really kind of, you know, at first going in with this comedic eye and then being like, nope, way, way more gore and then painting humor back over the gore and then playing with those kind of expectations. I think that the audience will have really uh, gives some fertile ground for some surprising kind of little reveals and jokes, which are super fun. It, it's um, not easy, but so fun. The challenge is kind of like the whole point, you know, it's super fun. Were there any uh, particular concessions that you had to make uh, during production that uh, you really didn't want to have to make? Was there anything that you had to cut that you really wish you'd stuck in there, but the, the circumstances wouldn't allow for it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I in, in, in you know... It, like in all movies, you, you basically just, it's all concessions uh, compared to what you saw in your brain. But once you give into that, you, it ends up leading you to all these other things. Like I, I originally had 
this whole idea of it almost being like a, like a chapter book. Um, and, and so each, each kind of chapter was its own thing, almost like a Tarantino movie. And, and I kind of had to give up on that just cause it was all this additional footage we needed to shoot. But what it, what it ended up giving it was this much leaner, uh, quicker and kind of pulsing, uh, kind of rhythm, which is really fun because and bombastic and you can kind of break it with humor. So kind of added to it. I mean, I, I had a lot of bigger uh, fight scenes in my mind and a lot more locations of, of which we still have a ton of locations for such a small movie. I mean, we're like, on the beaches doing Tai Chi we're driving up into the wilderness and battling this vampire on the road. And, you know, but of course I wanted, you know, I wanted the vampire to actually fly in at some point. I remember trying to raise money from an investor and being like, yeah, we're totally going to use a cable system and fly the villain in. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it actually was just in the way. And like when we cut the fat, which we had to do for production purposes, it ended up making it just a, a better project and allowed us to paint more music and more humor all over it and, and kind of let the performances stand out, which was really kind of the, you know, the kernel. And we got some great performances. I mean, Obviously, I play Hawk, but, you know, Ari Schneider is a super talented comedian, plays Rev, and, you know, is this kind of nice foil to this, you know, very aggressive masculine character of Hawk. Uh, Rev's a vegan pacifist, you know, who's always trying to, you know, help Hawk with his anger management. And uh, Jana Savage, who's an amazing screenwriter, um, you know, kind of reprised her her acting career here and came back and played Theo and just super deadpan and kind of grounds everything. And Richard Gaylor plays the, uh, the villain and the, uh, you know, and he's like a legit method actor. Um, and those kind of performances were able to be more featured without all this kind of bigger apparatus. And, you know, once we, kind of leaned on that and I was like where we're, I just want to go 100% in that direction and it just made it more specific I think and allowed the camera work to be a lot more specific and the production design and all that stuff you know and because it's low budget you got a storyboard and previs everything otherwise you're you know you're just going to be wasting all your time doing all this extra stuff that's never going to make it into the cut and since I'm one of the editors, you know, I'm very kind of specific about things that I, I know I won't use. So I don't even bother rolling on them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> even though I'm from an improv background, I, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, like I know there's a lot of, you know, fat I just won't keep in there because, because it's horror and it's, and it's humor and it's that kind of mix. It's got to be like really clean. Otherwise it just doesn't work. Yeah. Edgar Wright's a great example of that kind of, stuff since you had to pull double duty uh acting in front of the camera and also directing it can you take me uh down your process of how you pull that double duty and is it is it stressful at all 
it's super duper stressful to direct. It always is. I mean, acting is like, you know, what, once you divorce your brain from any kind of, you know, aspirations of greatness or megalomania and you're just like, I'm going to make believe like a kid again, you know, um, acting is just super duper fun and you get to play pretend. So it, it's an interesting mix because as a director and producer, you're dealing with, you know, all this kind of stuff that's, you know, logistical and, and trying to capture everything in the right way so that you've got stuff to work with in post. And, and as a actor, you don't want to be connected to that mentally at all. Cause it's actually in the way of, where you need to be which is kind of in the moment with your your other actors one of the ways i am able to do that is there's basically two aspects to it and i kind of honed it on elijah's ashes which was my uh previous feature um it's a comedy about homophobia and i kind of play this homophobic idiot who ends up getting the worst medicine a person could get if you're a guy like that. Um, so it's two factors, prep, right? So you've got to prep everything. You've got to decide everything ahead of time. So you need to work with very, very talented actors who are you know, willing to do their work ahead of time, willing to prep so that they're just ready to go and be in the moment. So, you know, you're not rehearsing on set. You're not trying to find it on set. You're actually already there, and you're trying to find that extra, you know, kind of 5%, that gloss. You need to work with excellent production design and cinematographer, uh, which I did. Sean Ayers, amazing cinematographer, like great eye for kind of natural light, almost like Roger Deakins. And Audrey Harworth is my production designer. She works with uh, David Rickabaugh the art director and they are this kind of just this, this two person army of understanding, like really, really naturalistic production design, but then also giving it like a little extra flair. So it does feel very purposeful. So I kind of work with all of those people together and ahead of time and then really storyboard every single shot, like with a previs program, uh, I use Frameforge. It's an old previs program that people used to use for CGI and animation. People, some people still use it. You can drop cameras in there, drop actors, pre-block the scenes, you know, your locations. So you kind of get through your first round of shots that you would just think of on set while you're doing the previs. So then you can start getting really super specific and picking these really awesome shots that all complement each other and then kind of match cut into the next scene and all this stuff. And then I just get all of that stuff together, hand it off, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to be acting now. Somebody else is going to call uh, action and cut. And then I'll kind of look at it afterwards. So one of the ways I've been able to turn my brain on and off between the prep stage and the kind of, you know, logical, rational side of it, and then the very creative in the moment actor side was through just doing a ton of improv training and performance because, 
you know, if you do 10,000 hours of that kind of stuff, uh, you're performing on your feet with people, trying stuff, failing constantly. And you're also trying to play games. So like a UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade, you're trying to create a game, which is the structure that you're trying to add into whatever scene that happens organically. So you're sort of self-directing. And you, you get used to that kind of stuff. And at the Groundlings, you know, you attack it from a very different angle, which is from character. But you're still creating structure with your character. So you start to kind of pre-direct yourself as a performer. And, uh, you know, you get very used to doing both by being, like, very creative and kind of having that stuff running in the background, almost like a like a computer script or something like that, like code, and watching kind of from this omniscient place while you're also performing and really committing to the scene. So I think a combination of prep and that kind of training has made it like really easy to be like, all right, well we're we're doing this push in dolly shot on us, and we're we're just doing it for these three lines because then I'm going to cut and get this other thing okay, I'm going to hop in front of camera right now, do my little like three second pump it up prep and turn into Hawk. And then someone else will call action. And, you know, at the end of the shot, I just basically forgot what we just did because I've kind of been as Hawk. And that's kind of how I've been doing it. It sounds a little schizo, but, but I mean, that's, Kind of what what you asked to do. I mean, I, I think Clint Eastwood talked about doing the same kind of thing. You got to have really good people around you, man, who are up for the journey too. So the other actors have to be really flexible. And and we've got you know we've got some great actors in, in this movie. They're super talented and and also really nice kind of flexible people. And the crew is the same thing. We have very much a kind of family vibe. So we're kind of you know, making believe almost like we're in waiting for Guffman or something, you know? I got you. Uh, all right, Ryan, uh, my last question, which is obviously going to be the most important one is, uh, where and when will people be able to see Hawk and Rev, uh, vampire slayers? Okay. So you can see Hawk and Rev vampire slayers this Friday, the 28th at midnight. Uh, it's world premiering at dances with films on the opening night where the midnight selection, they love the movie. They've actually given us a midnight slot on the, the following Saturday uh, for the closing night of the festival. So you can see it there. It's only screening for that two hour window. So you can go to dances with film, search for Hawk and Rev and get tickets. You can watch it. I believe from anywhere in the world. Um, and uh, you can also go to hawkandrev.com and buy those tickets. We're also going to be playing NOLA Horror Fest. They're doing an online festival. And San Antonio is doing an online festival. Beyond that, we will be available on all of the streaming services sometime between Halloween and the holidays. You've been listening to the Sixth Sense Media Podcast. You can find more of our celebrity interviews and roundtable discussions on iTunes, Podbean, and SoundCloud. Be sure to check out our movie, TV, and video game coverage at SixthSense.com and FanBolt.com.